Well, good morning. Uh, we are going to be talking about investing your time in the ways that will produce fruit for eternity. And I can think of no better way uh, for those of you that are in college right now than to consider going on one of the summer mission trips uh, over the years that I've been here, able to serve the college students at this church. It's just been a joy year after year after year to see students come back and really get a new perspective of what God is doing in their lives and around the world for his kingdom. And so if you're a student and you're thinking about it, uh, we would just encourage you to consider going for five to six weeks to one of these three partnerships, East Asia, Greece, or Tradewinds, which is our Muslim context. It will change your life. Uh, that's a guarantee from us. It will change your life, the way you think about God and who you are and what he's doing. Uh, the applications are on the website now. They are due on February 14th, Valentine's Day. So if you are dating somebody, uh, you can make this your date. Sit down and uh, fill out this application. If you're not, uh, it's a great way to take your mind off the fact that you're not going out that night, right? You can sit down and work on this application. So we would love to have you guys do these. They're due February 14th. Go grace-bible.org slash college, and you'll find the application there. All right, we are going to be in a number of passages this morning, but turn for a moment to Ephesians chapter 5 before we begin. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verses 15 to 17. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for another opportunity to come and to worship you, to celebrate the fact that as we sit in this room and as we go out this week to work, we know that Jesus is risen. Father, each Sunday morning we have the opportunity to celebrate just as they did that first Sunday, discovering that the tomb was empty, and discovering that that altered their plans for their own lives, radically redefined the mission of those first disciples' lives and Father of ours too. So we pray as we study your word this morning, you would give us wisdom, move in our minds that we would understand what it says, remove our distractions and worries. I pray move in our hearts, Father, that you would tear away any resistance or rebellion toward you. Father, empower our hands and feet for your service. We thank you. I pray that you would make my words clear and that they would be directed by your spirit. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite little books when I was young, when I was a kid, was the Guinness Book of World Records. I love to open up that book and I can really distinctly remember my brother and I had a copy of the 1984 Guinness Book of World Records and for some reason that copy stayed around our house for several years and we would read it and I loved looking at uh, all of the interesting facts. Who's the tallest person in the world? Who's the shortest? Who's the oldest? Who's the person who has been on the most trips? Who has the most kids? You know, all of these interesting records that people have set with their lives. This past week, I got onto the Guinness Book of World Records website. I'm sure they still sell a book, but I don't know if anybody buys it anymore because uh, they've got a website. And uh, I was struck by one particular area of the website with a list of a type of record that I hadn't really thought about much before. They call them dedication records. And uh, dedication records are for those people who have accomplished something that's kind of unique. 
that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. So for example, uh, one of the dedication records was for the largest collection of rubber ducks. Uh, This woman had collected 5,631 rubber ducks as of April 2011. She'd been collecting for 15 years. Now these are distinct, different rubber ducks. No two were alike. Another one was for the largest collection of Pokemon memorabilia. This person had collected 14,410 different Pokemon items. I didn't know there were that many. Uh, Collected them over 14 years. She actually made several trips to and from Japan in her quest to amass this enormous collection. Uh, Another record, the greatest distance traveled with a pool cue on one's chin. Uh, man went 5,472 feet. That's more than a mile with a pool cue balanced on his chin. The same man, the pool cue guy, also has the record for the most star jumps performed in one minute. 61 star jumps. Now, I'm not going to demonstrate that for you. I'm terribly afraid of falling down, but uh, I think it's kind of like a jumping jack, except something more. 61 star jumps in a minute. The same man also has the record for the longest period of time standing on a soft Swiss ball, right? A little squishy Swiss ball. He stood on it and balanced on it for I don't know how long. All right, so this guy has several records in the book. And I read that and I thought, you know, it kind of makes me laugh that uh, people decided this is going to be my legacy, right? (laughs) One day when I'm gone, kids pull out the family tree, great-grandkids are looking, they're gonna go, here's my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother collected more rubber ducks than anyone on this planet, right? And we buried them with them in a large duck-shaped tomb next to a pond, right? And we all remember them. And we laugh at that because it seems like, man, what a colossal waste of time. To some extent to say, I'm going to focus my life on something like this. That's what I'm going to dedicate my life to. And even as we laugh, if you're like me, we're convicted at the same time to go, wow, I often use my time in ways that are perhaps equally wasteful, that I invest inordinate amounts of time on things that might not or do not matter for eternity. And so I think it's really important that I check in on Facebook for a couple of hours every couple of hours, right? Or maybe I just fritter away my time. Maybe I am not conscious of how I'm using it. And so the day goes by and I look back and I go, what did I do? You ever felt like that? What did I really do today? I can't track it. I don't know. I just wasted it. Maybe it is. You say, no, that's not me. I'm really, really busy. I'm the president of four clubs on campus. My kids are in six sports. I'm constantly in the car. I'm constantly stress, I'm going to be late. And I'm doing a lot of stuff. But perhaps you've never sat and thought about, is it significant stuff? Or have I filled my days with activities that in the grand scheme of eternity aren't going to pay dividends? How we use our time is a critical issue. It's a spiritual issue and it's an eternal issue. I ran across a chart Some time ago, this is put together by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, United States Government Agency on how adults use their time. Uh, If you look at this for just a moment, how do adults use their time? That may be a little hard to read from where you're sitting. So let me just go over some of it. Now, everybody has 24 hours in a day, right? This is time use on an average workday for employed persons ages 25 to 54 with children. So it's very specific, but that probably fits a good percentage of those of us in here. 25 to 54 with kids on an average work day. 
All right, working and related activities, eight or nine hours, that's what you'd expect. Sleeping, 7.6 hours. Some of you say it's a lot less, it's a lot more maybe, I don't know. Household activities, 1.1 hours. Caring for others, that includes caring for your kids, 1.2 hours. Now look at this, leisure and sports, 2.6 hours. Now you may say, I don't spend that much time in leisure. You might be surprised if you've ever sat down and tracked it. Isn't it interesting? People spend more time relaxing and playing games than they do taking care of their kids. They spend more time relaxing and playing games, actually, than they do grooming. Only 50 minutes a day on average grooming. Now, that's for the 82% of the population who do groom themselves. <laughs> Apparently, there are 18% who do not. Now, this is interesting. Uh, the average time spent on a weekday in religious activities is less than 20 minutes per day. Now, only 6% of the population engages in any religious activities, prayer, reading their Bible, any religious activities during weekdays. About 12% do engage in some sort of religious activities on the weekend, going to church, singing songs, praying, whatever it may be. So in other words, only half of those statistically sitting in this room do anything in their relationship with God throughout the week. Statistically, whether true or not for this room, statistically, half of us, this is our only connection to God throughout the week. And interesting. Uh, other activities, of course, that we're all engaged in, shopping, banking, going to the doctor, volunteering. Here's the question. How do you spend your time? It may not look like this chart. And you may say, I spend a lot less time in leisure. I spend a lot more time taking care of my kids. I spend less time in work. Whatever it is, have you ever taken stock of how you use your time and compared your time to your priorities? In other words, have you ever said, this is what I want my life to be about? When my life is at an end and I look back, what do I want my life to have been about? For some, you say, I want my life to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. I want to be a person who shares the gospel, who makes disciples, who trains my kids to know Jesus, who makes an impact on my community and my friends for Jesus Christ. So when you look back at the end of your life, will the way you spend your time reflect those priorities? There's no doubt as we look at the scripture that our time is a God-given resource, one for which we will be held accountable. Benjamin Franklin said, do not squander time for that is the stuff life is made of. Very true. I think time in many ways is is our most valuable resource. Uh, Brian talked about money last week, and no doubt our money is a hugely important spiritual issue. But in some ways, our time, in fact, I would argue that our time is a more valuable resource. And here's why. You can always make more money. You can never make more time. Never. You have the same amount of time as the richest man on the planet and the poorest man on the planet. You have 24 hours in a day seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year, and however many years God gives you. You cannot make more time. So it's an incredibly valuable resource. And we can use our time in ways that honor God, or we can use our time in ways that are wasteful. And sometimes the lines are hard to discern. We're going to talk about that this morning. But how do we use our time in a way that honors God? How do we look at our time And view it through the lens of scripture. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the first thing we're going to see as we look at the scripture is very simple. Our time is short. Time is short. This past week, I had the same telemarketer call me three times. 
Right, maybe you've had that experience. Phone rings, you don't recognize the number. You go, great. You pick it up. Hello? No voice. Hello? Then they go, Mr. Moten? Mutan? Meh? Right? Who is this? Hey, we would like to sell you. And I go, you know what? I, I don't have time to talk about this right now. Can we call back later? Sure, whatever. You know, and you hang up the phone. Of course, they do call back later, right? Two times. Second time, I said, you know what? I'm really not interested. I don't want this product. Third time. I finally started to feel frustrated and angry. This is my time. You are co-opting my time. I'm watching Duck Dynasty right now. Please get off the phone. (laughs) And often there is that kind of irony in these sort of situations, isn't there? I don't like it when someone else takes control of my time and wastes it. But I'll waste it myself, won't I? I'll allow it to slip through my own fingers without thinking about how I'm using it because I have the illusion that I'm in control. So I hate it when I'm stuck in traffic and I can't go anywhere and somebody else is driving 20 in the 40. But I might spend hours frittering away time on activities that I've chosen that are much less productive without recognizing that in the big picture, I don't have a whole lot of time to waste. Passage that Mike read just a few moments ago, Psalm 39, verses four to five. Lord, make me to know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Handbreadth was one of the shortest units of measurement that the Hebrews knew. It was the width of four fingers. You hold up your hand like this. This is a handbreadth from here to here. That's my life. It says, surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Go outside on the few cold days we have here and breathe. You watch your breath accumulate in the air and dissipate. That's your life. Every single one of us in this room is moving toward the time when we will exit this life and we will face our maker and be held accountable for how we've used our time. We often don't think about our own mortality until it's really too late to make adjustments. About a year, year and a half ago, it was around Christmas 2011, I was at a party, white elephant party, and the thing that I won was two goldfish, live goldfish. So I brought them home to my daughters and I put them in a bowl. And you know what happens immediately. They are emotionally attached to these fish. Uh, They named them Samantha and Gracie. They started talking to them, dreaming about all the fun they were going to have with these fish. And I had flashbacks to my own childhood when my first encounter with mortality was when I had a little catfish die, right? And end up belly up in the tank. And I remember tears. I remember my mom's lack of sympathy telling me, look, fish die, son. That's what they do, right? That's kind of their thing, right? They die. So as, as my kids are looking at these fish, I felt the need to sit down and go, now girls, uh, these may not be around very long. You can enjoy them, look at them, God made them, but I personally have never had a fish live more than maybe a couple of months. Uh, now the fish are actually still alive. Uh, my understanding is that uh, goldfish can actually live up to 10 or 12 years. So my kids could be in college and I'm taking care of these fish, right? But I felt the need to explain to them right then, these fish are mortal. And you know, we do that sometimes when it comes to pets, but we don't do it often when it comes to people, do we? Often we don't discuss 
mortality until someone is already about to die. And the scripture would say, God, let me know my end right now, right now, whether I'm 20 or whether I'm 80. God, impress upon my heart that my time is short. I don't have much. Average life expectancy in the United States today is about 78 years old, 78 years old. So you think about how old you are now. Many of you are young, you're in college perhaps, maybe you're 20. You go, man, I've got all kinds of time. I've got almost 60 years if I meet the average. Let's look at that. Let's break it down. You're 20 now. That means about 58 years. You have on average about 21,000 days left in your life, right? You put that in a box, 21,000 days. Of those, about 7,400 of them you'll spend sleeping. 875 of them you'll spend eating. That leaves about 13,000 left of productivity. It's not many, is it? They go fast. If you're 40, cut that in half. I won't keep going, right? Some of you are getting nervous, right? (laughs) The reality is that our time is short. And all of us, all of us will hit a day where we will have to assess our life in reverse and say, did I use it in a way that honored God? Recently, my dad has been doing some research on our family tree, and he's tracked down names and dates of ancestors going all the way back to around the 16th century. And the thing that has struck me as he's been doing this is that many of these people, most of these men who were my own ancestors, I I knew nothing about them. I didn't even know their names. And you look at the list of these men and women, and all you see now is, is a couple of dates, 1812 to 1857. And you don't know anything about them. I don't remember their name. And yet in those years, they had an opportunity to have an impact with their life. On their family, on their community, on their friends. An impact that was positive, an impact in some cases that was not. An impact that contributed to the values of God. Or an impact that did not. Each of us has that opportunity. The reality is for most of us in this room, people won't remember our name when we've been gone for a few years. But the impact we make, if we walk with Jesus Christ, can reverberate for eternity. And so the time to take stock of our time is now. I love the exhortation in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you have a Bible, just flip back there for a moment. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Ecclesiastes is right before the Song of Solomon, right after the book of Proverbs. It can slip past your fingers if you're not paying attention. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, And mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. One will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. 
Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caper berry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now you look at that and you may go, I don't know what most of that says, but I know that it sounds depressing, right? Let me just walk through this. He's saying, remember your creator now while you're young. In the day that the watchmen, before the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, that is that the arms and hands become weak, all right, and begin to tremble. The mighty men stoop, the legs become bowed and stooping and the hands tremble. The grinding ones are few, they stand idle. You don't have a whole lot of teeth left, all right? Those who look through the windows, your eyes grow dim. The doors on the street are shut, probably meaning that the lips begin to turn inward. Why? Because the grinding ones are few. There aren't many teeth left. The lips begin to turn inward. It says, one will arise at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. In other words, you can't sleep when a bird goes, tweet, but you can't hear when your kids talk to you. You begin to rise early, but you begin to lose your hearing. You're afraid to go out on the street because something might happen to you. The almond tree blossoms. That means your hair begins to turn white, right? You want to compliment your spouse sometime. Say, your almond tree is looking very nicely today, right? (laughs) Hair begins to turn white. The grasshopper drags himself along. You don't move as quickly. You shuffle along. Caperberry is ineffective. That is, caperberry was an aphrodisiac. It no longer does its job. You eventually return to dust. The silver cord and the broken bowl. Imagine a lamp hitting the ground. The light goes out. And that's your life. All of us will hit that day. Each week, our college staff goes out to a nursing home to minister to those men and women. And it's interesting to ask these people about their lives, their regrets, their joys. And what you find is some are very happy with the way they've spent their time. And others look back and the time was too short because they didn't utilize it in productive ways. I remember talking to my grandfather toward the end of last year, right toward the end of his life, and him saying to me, I can't explain to you what it feels like to be this old. It was well into his 90s. But you'll understand. And he's right. Assuming the Lord allows me to even get there. One day we'll all look at our lives in reverse because our time is short. The scripture says because our time is short, we're called upon to recognize also that it's a delegated resource. It's been given to us by God. It doesn't belong to us. My very first job was at Chick-fil-A in a mall in North Dallas. I was about 15 years old and I was just learning how to work. And my manager, the owner of the store, was very careful to make sure we understood that at all times while you were on your shift, you needed to be doing something. And so you would have very busy times where there were lots of customers coming in and you couldn't keep up with it. And you would be ringing up sandwiches just like crazy and you're going crazy. And then it would hit about two or three in the afternoon and things would slow down and you would start to take a breath and you were tired from standing there. And so you would begin to perhaps uh, lean upon the register Take a breath and he would come up behind you and he would go, if there's a time to lean, there's a time to clean, right? 
And I hated that when he did that. I thought, just give me a minute. I'm tired. But I would pull back and I'd begin to clean. And his point was this. I have purchased your time at the cost of $4.25 an hour. It's mine. It belongs to me. So you're not going to stand here and use it for your leisure. Your time is mine. Our time belongs to God. It's a delegated resource. Romans chapter 14. For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ paved the way for us to know God, paved the way for us to be full of the spirit of God. And God has given us his spirit. His spirit lives within us. If you know and believe in Jesus Christ and consequently your time belongs to him because you belong to him. He made you, he bought you. You're not your own. There are ways we can spend our time that are frankly counterproductive, right? Romans 13 lists some of them. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, gluttony, hedonism, arguments, jealousy, selfish ambition. We can use our time in ways that are counterproductive. I think there are also ways we can use our time that are just wasteful, right? And as I think about the scripture, I think waste is when I allow one area of my life to overshadow the others in such a way that it's counterproductive. So in other words, I allow most of my time to become about leisure, right? Rest is a good thing. God rests on the seventh day after he makes creation as a model to us. And we rest because we need it. We need to recharge in order to be able to do God's will. But when I spend three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day in leisure and rest, I've allowed that area to overshadow others that are significant. Same thing can happen with work. Work is given to us By God, believe it or not, even before the curse in the garden, Adam and Eve had a job to tend the garden. Work is something we're made for, to honor God, to demonstrate how he's created us, to glorify him with our hands and our feet and our bodies. But when I allow my work to consume my life such that I never see my family or I neglect them, then I've allowed that one area to become a waste, actually, even though I may have the illusion that I'm doing something very productive. And we will be held accountable for how we recognize who owns our time. Romans chapter 13, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We will stand before Jesus Christ if you know him and be evaluated. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that evaluation will not be to determine whether you go to heaven or not. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, you can have assurance that you'll spend eternity with him. But all of us, even believers, will stand before Jesus Christ. We will be evaluated. And that evaluation will determine whether we hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant, whether we receive the rewards and crowns. Paul talks about looking back at the end of his life. And the hour is coming close. And all our time belongs to God. There's a way to think about the activities of your life, just a visual way to consider it. 
Right? If you think about your time, God is right in the center. You can look at it like a wheel. Right? We tend to think, well, I've got a list, God, family, church, neighbors, work, whatever it may be. I think this is probably a bit more accurate. If you take these areas of your life and you say, I've got my family, I've got church, I've got work, self, neighbors. You might even put leisure in there. And all of these things matter. But all of them ought to be directed toward God. So when I love my family, I do so because I'm called to honor Jesus Christ. When I come to church and I worship, I do so because I'm called to gather with the body of believers to gather strength, encouragement, worship him together so I can move out into the world with my neighbors and at my work and share Jesus Christ with how I work and what I say. And at different times in your life, different aspects of this wheel might take more or less of your time. But as you look back on your life, the question is, did I direct all of those efforts toward God and keep these things in a degree of balance that would honor him because he owns it all. He doesn't just own my time when I'm sitting in here. He owns my time when I'm sitting at my desk. He owns my time when I'm sitting with my family. He owns my time when I'm watching TV. Every moment of every day, it's been delegated and it's been delegated to us for a purpose. Our time has a purpose. God has given us our time not to squander, not to waste, but to use for the advancement of his purposes and his kingdom. My wife is a big fan of Jane Austen novels and then subsequently the movies, particularly the five-hour BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, uh, which I have seen multiple times. I could tell you how many because I've counted the hours I've spent watching (laughs) Pride and Prejudice, right? There are modern stories that are somewhat similar. Uh, Some of you perhaps have seen the new show, Downton Abbey, that is out. And uh, these are interesting shows for me. And one of the challenges I have personally with watching them, uh, you take the uh, original Pride and Prejudice movie, for example. I liked the book. Take the movie. But the way it's presented often is most of these people's lives, they stand in corners in the dark and they talk quietly about who will marry whom. And about how the estate will pass on. And about whether someone's caught in the rain on a rainy day. Right? And I always watch these. And the challenge I have is I go, get a job. Right? <laughs> Find something to do with your time. Find a meaning. Find a purpose. And the good news is this. If you know Jesus Christ, you have a purpose. You're not just here drifting. The question is, will you claim your time and all of your activities to be used for his purposes? What is his purpose for our life? Last words that Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven are this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ has called us to invest our lives in teaching people to know him. And we may do that through a variety of means and a variety of places. We don't just do that when we pull out a tract and share the gospel. We do that as we interact with our neighbors 
and we have opportunity to tell them why our priorities are what they are and testify to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that at work as we seek to work with excellence to demonstrate the glory of the God who made us and then look for a chance to tell others why we work as we do, why we play as we do, why we love as we do. Every area of our life is designed to point back to Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10. Our time belongs to him. We've also been given a value system. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Everything goes back to loving God. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. Here's what will last from my life. What will last is the way that I invest into the lives of those around me and help them to understand and see and proclaim the love of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ who died for me. The reality is that for most of us in this room, the circle of people who will really know us, really remember us, really be able to take stock of how we live, that circle is pretty small. Whether you have 5,000 Facebook friends or not, right, the circle is small. And the question is, will you spend your time investing in those relationships to draw men and women closer to Jesus Christ? Time is short. The reality is that, yeah, the life expectancy is 78, but we may not have any more minutes. We may not have any more days. Only God knows our end. And so with each moment, will we begin to arrange our lives around the purposes of eternity? My guess is, as I share this, that if you're like me, you're feeling not only convicted, but perhaps overwhelmed. How do I get a handle on my time? Maybe you feel like you're lacking in time. You're lacking in energy. I'm so busy, but I don't seem to have time for these things that really matter. Here's what I'm going to suggest this week. Just a short exercise to get an idea of how you're using your time and try to take stock of it and maybe make some changes. All right, here's what I'm going to suggest. Make a list of those things that you say are important to you. I want to know Jesus. I want to love my family. I want to participate in church. I want to have an impact in my dorm or with my neighbors. Just make a list of them. They don't even have to be in any particular order, but just sit down and say, these are the things that are important in my life. What are they? And then as you do that, the next thing to do is track how you use your time this week. I'd even do it for two weeks to get a a fuller sense. Over the next week or two, track how you use your time. Track it in, say, 30-minute increments. For some of you, 15 or an hour, maybe better. All right, but just make a chart kind of like this. Monday, through Sunday, and in 30-minute increments, write down not what you wish you were doing, not what you want your friends to think you're doing, but what you're doing at the end of each 30 minutes at the end of each hour. So here's just a sample of some things you might fill in. Perhaps if you're a student, you get up at 8, maybe 8.30, read your Bible, 9 a.m., go to class, study later in the day, eat lunch, and so on throughout the day. Just track it. Just write it down and be honest. You're not turning this in for a grade. This is for you. How are you using your time? Really take stock of it. And then at the end of those days, at the end of that week or two, ask yourself this. Does your use of your time reflect the values you say you have? Does it or does it not? 
Beginning to get a hold of our time starts with an honest assessment of how we're using it. And if you look and you go, man, it really doesn't. Or maybe it does in some areas. Most of us will say, in some ways it does. In other ways, I'm falling very short. It may be that you need to actually remove some activities from your calendar. Drop a club here, drop an activity here so you can spend time with the Lord or you can invest in your family or you can invest in your community. For some, it may be you need to put some more structure to your time. If you look and you see three hours playing Halo 4 every night, you may need to say, all right, I need to figure out how to capture that time and use it in a way that is an investment in eternity. So maybe I narrow that down to 30 minutes a night. And I use the remaining time to know my neighbors, to read the Bible, to work, to do things that are significant for the kingdom of God. Can you honestly say, can I honestly say that we're spending our time wisely because the days are evil and we've been called to be a light in the midst of evil times? And can we say for the sake of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom, that we'll begin to get a hold of it and use it in ways that please him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. There's not a person in this room, myself included, who is unconvicted because, Father, we use our time, all of us often, in ways that are unproductive. We allow areas of our life to grow out of proportion with their significance. And we allow very critical areas to be minimized. Uh, We have no answer for why we do that other than that we are sinful and we're selfish. But Father, we're grateful that in Jesus Christ, you've forgiven us. And we stand here now on a new day at the beginning of a new week, close to the beginning of a new year, with an opportunity through the power of your spirit to serve you moving forward. Thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ, for the power of the Spirit. We thank you that we know none of these things are possible on our own, but because of you, we have a chance to leave a legacy that will last for eternity. And so I pray that we would. Father, we praise you again for all of your goodness to us. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week.